The Copywriter Club podcast is sponsored by AirStory, the writing platform for professional writers who want to get more done in half the time. Learn more at airstory.co forward slash club. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 96 as we chat with copywriter Ridge Abraham about his path into financial copywriting, what he did to generate $7 million with the first campaign he ever wrote, why he's so hard to find online, and the most important lessons he learned from his famous dad. joking before we started recording about how Ridge is the hardest person to find online. We had to scour the internet to find you. That way you guys can't ask me those trick questions. I know. It's, it's even easier to find Paris Lampropolis online than it is to find oh. you, which is saying <laughs> something because he hides. So Yeah, I think he's got a bigger body of work than me. That I don't know. <laughs> so let's kick this off with your story and how you ended up as a financial copywriter. Okay, so it's actually a pretty funny story. So like I was telling you guys, I went to school for music. I was really into, you know, music production, songwriting. I was DJing. I was living in LA and I really wanted to, you know, like play shows and I wanted to travel and do stuff like that. And it was tough right out of college, you know, like if you want to kind of be like an entrepreneur in the music business, it's very difficult to make it and you're oftentimes broke. So I was working this internship at, it was like a subsidiary of like Hans Zimmer's music for film studio. And I hated it. I was the intern that every day I would just go and get people lunches. And I was just like the gopher, the worst job ever, miserable. I was really like, okay, I need to like figure something else out. So I was listening to like a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts. And one of them was uh, John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire. And I heard this episode with Kevin Rogers. And so I'm listening. I'm like, oh, okay. Like he's talking about like copy chiefs, talking about copywriting. I'm like, okay, this sounds, you know, like pretty cool. Like that's interesting. So anyways, I hear that. And then a couple of days later, uh, you know, as we were talking about like my dad's involved in direct response, someone from Agora, Ryan McGrath had come to meet with my dad at my house. I was living back in my parents' house at this time. And so he comes to my house and my dad's not there. And so. I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? We're kind of talking, you know, and then he tells me he's a copywriter. I'm like, oh, hey, I just heard all this stuff about Kevin Rogers podcast. So we kind of start dicing it out. And then he's like, wow, you really know this stuff. So, you know, maybe come out to Baltimore and check it out. I honestly had no clue what Agora was. I didn't know anything about financial <laughs> copywriting. When I first went out there, I seriously thought I was like writing articles on finance. Like I had no clue what Agora was. I didn't know anything about direct response. So I went and checked it out and I wanted so badly to get out of LA and just to like do anything else with my life that wasn't music at the time that I took the job to go to Baltimore. And then I kind of landed myself in this like DR financial copywriting world. And I was like, oh, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> it's crazy that you didn't know anything about copywriting and yet you get hired as a copywriter. Like, how does that work? Well, I think I read some copy before I went to Agora. And then like, I just think I think I had a lot of good questions. You know, I think I've, I've always been a pretty naturally curious person. 
And my mentor at Agora, Ryan McGrath, I met with him and I met with Joe Schrieffer when I went out there and a couple of the other copywriters too. And yeah, I think just kind of just being interested in it, like reading the promos and going through them and just like asking analytical questions about like why certain things were certain ways in the structure of them. But yeah, like when I first got out there, I seriously had no clue what I was doing. It's just like, oh, hey, like, you know, writing. Okay, cool. Can you tell us about those first few days? Like, what was the learning process? What did they put you through? You know, how did you get your feet underneath you so you could write your first promotion? So when I first got there, it's crazy. You know, Agora Financial has grown so much in the past, you know, two, three years. When I first got out there, I think it was right around when they were doing like 50 million a year. And they're still relatively small companies. So there was only like, you know, four or five, maybe like with all the remote copywriters, maybe like up to like eight copywriters. Now they have like, you know, like 30, 40, something like that. But when I first got there, I was mentoring under Ryan McGrath and he kind of would send me this whole regimen of what I should be doing. So he would give me books. Like I remember I read like, you know, like great leads, influence, like make it stick, a couple books like that. Then he would give me all like the best financial promos to handwrite. So I was handwriting, you know, like, well, like a lot of the money map promos, some of the Stansberry promos, you know, Oxford Club. I had a lot of those. So we do that. Then I would read a lot of like the four P's and the, it was like some of the AWAI materials, but it was just kind of like, he would just give me stuff like assignments to do every week. And then I think it wasn't until about like three months in or so that I actually started working on my first promo, but I was writing some like traffic drivers, like email lift notes, like some space ads. So Ridge, I want to hear more about your time in music and the music industry. So were you a DJ or were you like a singer or songwriter? What type of music did you play? So I got really into hip hop when I was like 15, 16. I was like loved old school hip hop. So stuff like New York hip hop, West Coast hip hop. So I was always making a lot of hip hop beats. And when I went to college, I started DJing. I had vinyl turntables and I would scratch and do all that. And then somewhere along the way, like kind of more of like the like techno, like house music got big. And so then I got more into that. So I started like producing a lot of like techno and kind of what you'd call deep house nowadays, kind of like the type music, you know? Yeah. And so I did that for a few years and yeah, played a good amount of shows. Still do, you know, around LA and there's a couple big festivals that I played. So it's, it's been really fun. Did you have a DJ name? Yeah, it's uh, me and my buddy, we DJ under the name Creams and Lotions. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, Ridge, what was your biggest takeaway from your time? I mean, you're still DJing, but when you were heavily in that world, and it sounds like trying to build a career there, what was your biggest takeaway from your experience in the music industry that you've pulled into your career as a copywriter? I think, honestly, the biggest thing you can take away just is swiping. You know, like just anything you do, you should, you can model it off something else and get it done so much quicker. I think anytime you're looking at a blank page, you're just trying to, you know, envision what's in front of you. I think it's tough, but when you have some sort of structure that you can lay out for something beforehand, it makes it so much easier and you can move so much faster. Like any promo I've ever written, just having another promo to model it all off of, that makes it just happen way more fluidly. 
So when you talk about swiping like that, tell us how that works, because, you know, there's sort of two schools, people who say, you know, do not copy, you know, and I suppose that there's a limit where copying is bad, but swiping ideas or patterns or structure is good. So how do you walk that line so that you're not, you know, taking somebody else's promotion and sort of claiming it as your own, but you're actually reusing strategy or tactics in a new way? I think a really good book to read on this is Steal Like an Artist. I mean, if you just go through there, basically the idea is that if you're taking elements from different promotions, like lots of different ones, you kind of make something of your own. But if you're just ripping off one promo, then you're just ripping something off. But a lot of times, you know, I find that even if I try to make something like someone else's, I have my own flaws and I can't do it and it becomes my own, you know? Yeah. So I read somewhere, it was maybe another promotional package that your very first promo netted $7 million, which is pretty amazing for somebody who had no idea what copywriting was when he, you know, when he sat down to start writing. So yeah. Yeah, tell us about that first project and how that came together. Okay. couple things about that one. It technically was my first promo that mailed, I think, but I had one promo that was just kind of caught in the pipeline before that. So it just didn't, it like tested like a week after, but I finished that one before and then I also had written a promo the year before and just because of like some timely issues in the financial market, it never really made it out. So technically this wasn't like my first promo, it was just my first one that actually saw like an email test, but it was a penny stock promo on marijuana. We called it the 30 day marijuana millionaire. <laughs> the idea was that, and it, you know, it's true, like, marijuana stocks were just shooting up so fast that like some people could buy them on one day and in like 35 days you could make a million dollars i modeled it off this old promo called like 30 day retirement plan and so there was already this promo that it was for penny stocks and it was pretty much the same idea but because after the trump election marijuana stocks were legal in like six more states i just kind of tied that into that idea and just kind of modeled the promo off that one so if you ever read that, what is it? The technique for producing ideas. It's like you take two ideas and you kind of just put them together and that kind of just, it's timely. It's with the market. So it, it worked really well. So for that promo and probably just every promo at Agora, what does it actually look like behind the scenes when you're working on it? Are multiple people working on it? Like, does it take you five months or two weeks? What does it take to write a winning promo? So that promo is actually a funny story. And like, most of the promos at Agora, that promo, I did it in a week. It wasn't necessarily by choice. It was more like I sent a draft of the lead to the publisher. And he was like, oh, hey, this is good. Like, if we're going to do this, I want to test it next week. And it was really cool because I was like, all right, well, I haven't really had anything that's gone out yet. I was like, if a publisher is all in on your idea, then it's a good sign. You know, you want to get it done. So I remember I was just like pulling all-nighters and just writing eight hours a day trying to finish that thing. Yeah, so we cranked that out really fast, but usually for a promo, you know, you might get caught in the research for a month, a month and a half. The copy chief there, Joe Schriefer, he's always big on the idea that if you have, you know, two months or a month to cut down a tree, you're going to spend like three weeks sharpening your axe. Well, talk a little bit about your process. Now, I understand a lot of it is research, but from start to finish, like walk us through what does a promotion look like for you? I think. Honestly, just kind of like what I just said, so much of it is having a good idea. You know, if you don't have a good idea, you can write the best copy ever, but you are going to fail. And I think that's where a lot of promos go wrong 
it's like, yeah, just having that big promise that you can make in a promo that's really going to make the market, like any someone who's in that market, keep reading whatever you're reading. So it's so important just to just be able to say that in an easy headline. So I think definitely working on the headline and just like having a good lead. Anytime I was going to write a promo, my mentor would just tell me, all right, put it in like a 500 word lead and see if you can send it around to people and see if they want to read more. So Ridge, how long were you actually at Agora? Did you say two years? Just about two years, a few months shy of that. So what did your life look like during that time? I feel like it's always kind of mysterious. People go to Agora and you see pictures of them like having fun, like drinking beer and playing ping pong. Like what is the culture when you're there, especially when you've moved and you probably don't know a ton of people in Baltimore? It was interesting moving from LA to Baltimore, you know, because anyone you ever meet in Baltimore and they ask where you're from and you tell them LA, they always say, why do you here? <laughs> you know, for a while you kind of just, you're like, oh, you know, it's cool. And then finally it gets to you, you're like, yeah, why am I here? <laughs> now, all jokes aside, Agora is really cool. They do a lot of really fun stuff in the Mount Vernon area for all of the different divisions. So there's always like happy hours and different like cool stuff they're doing. It's awesome. And yeah, you'll see the pictures of them like probably at the 14 West building. It's super cool. They'll get like kegs and a bunch of wine and cool hors d'oeuvres and they have these parties there all night. It's pretty awesome. And then they'll do like big holiday parties and like kind of these parties in spring too. There's a lot of fun stuff. Sounds like it's all play, no work. <laughs> Sometimes it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. So tell us about what you're doing now. What kind of projects you take on now? Who are you working with? So I'm working on a couple of financial projects. I'm working on one with one of the divisions at Agora. It's my good friend, Patrick McKelvey. They do like the income franchise there. So we're working on a lifetime income report. I'm doing something with that. I'm also, I have a good buddy. He has the top selling sports product on ClickBank. It's a jump program. So he teaches kids who want to like play basketball to jump higher. So I've been helping rewrite his copy for him. It's been pretty fun. I think coming from a financial background, it just, it's a lot different to write for a different niche and it's a lot more fun sometimes. I think to change the scenery. And you're living, you're back in LA now, right? Yeah, back in LA right now. Okay. All right. So I want to hear more about. Now that you're kind of on your own and running your own business and broke away from Agora, like how are you structuring your projects and rates when you take on these big projects? Like how do you actually get paid? I like to do an advance and then royalties. It's really tough. Like if you've, and I think we talked about this when I saw you last time, it's tough when you're coming from getting royalties to kind of not like to not get them because. For me, it's even weird because like, if I was going to charge someone a flat rate, I wouldn't really know what to charge because I'd be so like, I'd be like, all right, well, if it doesn't do well, then I like, I want to change it and I want it to do well, but I want us to kind of be in this together where it's like, you know, like, like it's almost like a rev share model. Like I only want you to pay me if it works. So some people don't really get it, I think. And they'll try to just pay a flat fee. And it's like, well, I really prefer if we just kind of split some of the revenue somewhere. How does that work with a typical project? Do you take an upfront fee? I'm going to ask you for actual numbers, right? So yeah. you're definitely not at the bottom of the crowd as far as copywriters yeah. go. What would you so, take up front? And then what kind of percentage would you take on the back? If you got like a, maybe like a ten to $20,000 advance on a project, let's think if it was like a backend product, it's different on different projects. You know, if you're doing a backend, you might get a percentage of the revenue. 
you're in a front end, you might get a fixed amount per lead or per name. So either way, you know, you might get like 5%, something like that. So the idea would be that your advance is recoupable on the royalties. So you don't get paid until you've done whatever the advance is. So say you get a $20,000 advance, you're not going to get any additional royalties until after the promotion has paid you at least 20000 So after that, then you'll start getting checks. Okay, interesting. So how are you finding these clients who are open to that? Because you're right, not every client is open to that type of structure. So how are you finding the right clients who are like, okay, I see the value in this, you know, yes, we'll do this. Yeah, I think Abby Woodcock kind of talks about it, but it's just going to a lot of different events and just kind of meeting people, being at the bar. You know, you'd be surprised at like how much business gets conducted there. But, you know, just I think not really necessarily like aggressively pitching people, but just, you know, talking to them, engaging them, asking them about their business, you know, giving them your input. And then you'd be surprised how many people need copywriters, even with the amount of copywriters that are out there. It's crazy, you know, and just being able to have met somebody in person and had an actual engaging conversation with them, they value that a lot. And, you know, like my buddy that does the things on ClickBank, like we met at like an Ian Stanley event. And then when he needed someone to rewrite his stuff, he called me. So I think that's a big opportunity for a lot of people is just to go out and meet people. Is that the main way that you keep your skills sharp is that you're going to conferences, you're talking to people, or do you do other things as well just to you know keep on top of it and always be learning? Yeah. I mean, I love going to conferences. I feel like you can go to too many conferences though at the same time. <laughs> For and sure. You don't want to be the guy that's just going mastermind to mastermind. <laughs> I think the best thing to do is just read promos. You know, I think Gary Benzavanga said, read an ad a day. Just do that. Just mark it up, you know, try not to just read it, but just try to see what the copywriter's doing, you know, see what each part's doing, see what each subhead's trying to, like the objection is trying to overcome. I think that's probably one of the best ways to stay sharp, in my opinion, just always be looking at different copy. So I wonder, you know, you clearly like did well early on in your career at Agora and you're doing well now. There are a lot of copywriters who have a hard time getting started and getting that traction. And maybe they can't move to Baltimore and work for Agora. So what would you recommend to them to really kind of get a win early on in their career? What would you do if you were just starting out? I think I'm biased because, you know, I did go to Agora, but I would find a mentor because you learn so much so fast if you have somebody telling you all the ways that like they had screwed up and all the ways they learned it wrong. And here's the right way. And they know through testing it. I was at Agora for a year and I feel like I was able to learn like what some people would learn in like, you know, five, 10 years freelancing just because it was just all expedited information coming straight to me. I can't say how valuable that is. You know, even when I was doing music, this is a good analogy. Like I didn't have anyone showing me anything. So like I didn't know what was right and wrong to read. You know, I didn't know like, okay, that's worth doing. That's not worth doing. And I think having a mentor makes that so much more clear. Yeah. I love that advice, you know, throughout my career, you know, different people at different times to mentor. I think it's absolutely critical. Anything else in addition to mentorship to help other people sort of sharpen skills and get moving? I mean, this is really applicable to financial copy and probably health, but I'd say Try not to get too caught up in explaining things. If you read a lot of good copy, 
I think you'll notice that people explain stuff, but they only explain stuff enough to just graze over it and then just get it back into whatever they're talking about. I think you'll see a lot of copy where people will go kind of off on tangents or go down a rabbit hole of just like explaining some science or something in the financial market. And I think like being quick in your copy, you know, just not getting like 10 lines explaining something just to just kind of get in and get out and get towards the, you know, whatever you're trying to persuade. So I'm wondering, you know, if you've worked closely with your dad ever, or if you've learned a big lesson from him that you've taken into your career. We should probably jump in and just mention that, you know, if anybody recognized Ridge's last name is Abraham. His father is J.E. Abraham, who's relatively well known in the direct response space for being an incredibly intelligent, you know, I don't want to use the word guru, but he's kind of the guru on the top of the mountain. He's at the top, right? He's up there. Definitely. I'm trying to think. You learn a lot, so it's hard to just uh, narrow it down to one. We can narrow it down to three, <laughs> if that makes okay. it easier. Or 21, you know, or yeah. however many. I mean, one of them is definitely work ethic. You know, I mean, growing up, I saw my dad like, you know, working every day my entire life, you know, and he's just always on the phone, always traveling, always doing stuff. And he got into marketing when he was like 18. You know, he had two kids when he was 19. And the way he says it is he, he was 19, had the needs of a 40-year-old man, and the world didn't care. So that's probably what propelled him to be the guy he is. And, you know, it's it's all through his work ethic. So I think that is one huge one. Another one is, I think... It's kind of like the Dale Carnegie thing, but if you want to be an interesting person, be interested. Mm. You know, I've seen him really just get people into some of the most engaging conversations ever where like things that I know that my dad's not actually that interested in, but the way that (laughs) he will, like, for instance, there's this guy who has this boat and the guy just loves his boat. And like, he's like a, a family friend. And my dad just kept asking these questions about this boat and he just, was having the most like emotional like responses, like really just opening up, you know, and it's true. Like people will really gravitate towards you if you just act interested in whatever it is that they are doing or they like. So that was, that's a big one. Third one. I had one, I think before the show, I'd say just, he always taught me when you're writing a sales letter, make sure you're writing it to one person and always keep that person in mind. So I think along with that goes really know your market and know who you are writing to. Because I feel like that is just such a huge thing when you're writing copy, just just knowing exactly who you're writing the sales letter to. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't necessarily want to make this a show about your dad, who's going to be in a future episode at some point. But the one thing that I really am impressed by Jay is he's a master diagnoser. Like He asks enough questions to actually understand a problem before he starts throwing out prescriptions and ideas. And like, he really spends a lot of time trying to understand what the problem is in the business or, you know, with the customer or whatever. I think it's just really impressive. The other thing is he seems to really care about every single person that he talks to. And I think that dovetails to the three things that you're talking about there, you know, as far as being interested as well as, you know, really understanding who you're writing to. You know, he really wants to help people and it's awesome. So Ridge, you know, you mentioned that you recommend going to conferences, maybe not too many conferences, but that's a great way. Networking is such a valuable way to get work. So I'm sure you're tapped into the copywriter community from Agora, from conferences and organizations you're a part of. What mistakes do you feel like you see copywriters making 
today that are just like glaring mistakes. And it could be copywriting related or like business related that really stand out to you. So one thing I think is like, I've seen this in the financial niche, but what I would call is like kind of hollow promises, something where it's just, you look at it and it's just sort of unbelievable, or maybe they've seen it before. Like I saw this headline recently where it was, it was kind of just like make money from doing nothing like that sort of stuff. And there's no indication to me of like how it really worked or like how I was going to actually benefit from it. I think things like that, a a lot of it is just in the idea phase. And I think conversely, you see a lot of people that sometimes they're trying to get too complicated. I think you see some copywriters really trying to just throw together some big, crazy idea where it's like the Russian formula that's going to send this stock shooting. So, uh, you know, like stuff like that. I think there's just two sides of it. You can get way too crazy with it, or you can just get, there's not enough intrigue in your headline. I've seen that a lot. Besides that, I'd say just being simple. Like, you know, readability is so huge in financial copy, just making the lead something that's really easy to get through. And we, you know, we mentioned your huge success that, you know, the $7 million mailer, that first one that got into the mail anyway, or into production. What about some of your failures? You know, what are some of the mistakes and missteps that you've made in copywriting and what did you learn from it? I think there's sort of two big mistakes or failures. One of them, it was the first promo I ever wrote. I was writing this about this company that did this. It was a single stock promotion. So basically the idea is something's going to happen and this stock is just going to shoot off to the moon. I wrote this whole promo about how this cancer drug was up for FDA review. And once the FDA said the trials had worked, it was going to skyrocket. So I wrote this promo. It took forever. It was my first promo. I had no idea what I was doing. It took me like five months to write it. After you write something at Agora, it goes into legal. And then after legal, it goes into production. So after I got it through legal, I sent it to production and it just kind of sat there. And I kind of like asked around trying to get it through and nothing kind of ever really happened with it. So eventually I look at the news and the trigger date for my promo actually happens. And I look at this stock and it shoots up like two or three times. And meanwhile, my, I was like, I was just like, damn, you know, <laughs> that was sort of a failure in my eyes. Cause I always wanted to know how that one would do. Another big failure was I think last year I kind of left Agora, not left Agora, but I left Baltimore and I picked up this one project. This is after I had two promos that were kind of controls. They're doing really well. And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to just find something and work on it. And so I picked up this one project that was this financial trading system. And I kind of locked myself into it before I really knew what it was about and how it worked. I just kind of wanted to work on something. And so every time I opened this project up on my computer and tried to write, I just like dreaded it. I hated it. <laughs> I sat there, you know, hours a day trying to write stuff. And I just would just every day, I just can it. I just delete it. And then ultimately, I just had to just scrap the project. I just felt like bad about it because I felt like I couldn't do it. But I just, you know, you know, Seth Godin talks about the dip or I feel, there's someone else that there's a different way for it to talk about that. But it was like, I was just caught in a dip and I was like, I think this is a dead end. So that was a tough one, but you got to get in choose your battles. 
Yeah, I always wonder with those dips on coffee projects if it's if you just kind of have to push through when you're feeling that and it's just a disconnect on the project or if when it's time to just leave the project, how you know which one it is. Yeah, well, it's tough too, right? Because you don't want to be like, hey, I can't finish this. You know, it's, a lot of it's like a pride thing, but sometimes it's more like, I don't want to waste my time. You know, when I was at Agora, I was like, I just don't want to like get like write a promotion that's going to bomb and just waste all these resources on legal production and design. So, right. You know, right. it's tough. So we have copywriters that might be interested in financial copy and maybe they think, you know, they're trying to decide if it's a path they should pursue. What would you say to someone who's considering it or just thinking about it as an option? What do they really need to know about financial copy in order to make that decision easier? I mean, just read financial copy and just, you know, I'd just say get on the Agora lists, like the Money Map or Oxford Club, Agora Financial, try to track down some of their promos, read through them, just see if you like it, see if you would want to write in that style. You know, some financial copy can be pretty aggressive. So see if, if that's something that you want to do. Try it out. Maybe think about how you would write a sales letter on why maybe a certain stock is going up. You know, think about the persuasive elements of what would make one of the promos you read work and see how you can maybe, you know, model that yourself after some other situation in the financial market. I think that would be a pretty good way to get started. So we've talked about, you know, how you started your career, some of your successes and failures. What's next for you? Where are you going, you know, in your career? What's the trajectory look like? I'm picking up a lot more projects nowadays. I've kind of taken a little break over the past few months just to kind of travel and do some other stuff. But uh, I really want to start a business because, you know, I think we were talking about it at Titans, but when you write copy, sometimes I feel like, you know, you can have a killer promotion. You can have two killer promotions, but after them, you're still kind of back at ground zero sometimes. And you might have a skill set, but sometimes it just feels like to me, and I don't know, I know we're on a copywriter podcast, but it just feels like you're not building anything. And I really want to build some sort of business. And I want to, I love writing copy. I want to write copy for my own stuff. And whether that's partnering with someone that's an expert at something or, you know, getting some e-commerce stuff, I'm really eyeing that kind of situation because that, it just seems fun to me to be part of like a actual like brand or business. Yeah. So do you have any specific ideas? Like, are you going to create a shoe company or <laughs> like, what, what is this going to look like? There's a couple of markets I was looking into for a while. Past few months, I was really looking into the dog supplement market dog health. I love dogs. And I think there's some sort of statistic where humans take better care of dogs than they do themselves. Oh. <laughs> so they're kids sometimes. Yeah. I forget where I read this, but people are more likely to donate money to a sick dog than a sick person. That's it's, awful. It's crazy. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But it's a market, right? So, right. That's, yeah, that's a great market. Yeah. So a few final questions. <laughs> One, because you're a mysterious person on the yeah. web, are you going to start marketing yourself, like start a YouTube channel or where will we be able to see you, hear you, find you? Or <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I just think I was never so much, you'll see this a lot of the Agora people. A lot of them aren't so much into like creating their own personal brand. They're just, it's like, Hey, they're, they're just kind of writing copy, but I've been thinking about getting more into being out there and I've just never really been so much into like, marketing my marketing skills i've always wanted to i don't know do other things but i kind of want to get more into it so i don't know stay tuned maybe 
Exciting. And then my final question is just, what does the future of copywriting look like to you? The future of copywriting? I don't know. I mean, I always wonder, like with millennials and, you know, younger demographics, are long form sales letters going to keep working? I always wonder that. Dan Kennedy will tell you, yes. It's tough to say. I think that we don't really know. I think you just kind of got to test stuff and see what works and adapt. I don't know. What do you guys think? It's actually great. That's a great question. Kira asks this a lot. So what is the future of copywriting, Kira? Oh my gosh. No, no. Our show. You can't ask me (laughs) questions. I think you might be right though. Yeah. I mean, there are different ways that copy is being used that we've never had before, you know, with home assistants that, you know, do all kinds of searches instead of using, you know, laptops and computers and, and phones. And, you know, obviously copy needs to be done for that. So much is being automated with bots and the way that we communicate. So to me, it feels bright because there's need for words everywhere. But I think a lot of us are going to have to relearn how those words are being used in different mediums. Right. And a good example of that is interactive copy, which I know Shanti Zach is focused on. So maybe more copywriters kind of moving into that space, bots and Facebook ads. For me, it's kind of more personality-driven copy because I feel like as we get more into the bot space that um, we really need to feel that connection to the person behind all of this. So I'd say just how the value behind bringing out that personality behind brands, products, businesses will be really important. But yeah, thanks, Ridge, for reversing that on us. (laughs) (laughs) Great to put you guys on the hot seat, you know? Yeah, yeah, you'll have to interview us at some point. Yeah, when I start building my brand... We'll be your first guest. That'll be good. So Ridge, we know you don't have a website. You're hard to find online, but if somebody wants to connect with you, where can they can't? Yeah. Send me a letter. (laughs) (laughs) It's my name at gmail.com. Send me an email. I'm usually pretty quick to answer. So, and you are on Facebook. You see, we see you in the group every once in a while. So yeah. 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 I'd be on Facebook or send me a message. I'm usually a bit on there too. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ridge, for spending time with us. And it's been fun getting to know you even better. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Thank you.